friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. So we're now ready to go to God's Word at this time. Uh, let's have a look at Matthew 5, 23 to 26. May I invite you to please rise from your seats right now. At the count of three, we will all read together aloud, please. One, two, read. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until, until you have paid up the last cent. Shall we bow our heads in prayer at this time? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you, O God, for your goodness and love towards us. Lord, your love is amazing. We've seen it at the cross, but we also see it every single day of our lives. We see your loving kindness. We see your compassion. We see your loving care. Indeed, you are the good shepherd, and you have never done anything bad to your people, O oh Lord. Everything that you've done and everything that you've allowed has always been for our own good, and we just want to give you thanks and praise. And this morning, once again, we want to experience your love in our midst, O oh God. And we pray, Lord, that the word of God will be powerful. I pray for myself. I pray that... The Holy Spirit might come rushing upon me that I might prophesy to your people, Lord, speak in a prophetic way that the needs of these people, Lord, might be met. I know, Lord, that apart from you, I can do nothing. And so I pray for boldness. I pray, for Lord, for clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Allow me, Lord, to deliver your message and do justice to your word. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. Our message today picks up from last week's message. The title of last week's message was Anger Equals Worship. Well, today we have entitled the message Anger Equals No Worship. So, I'm sorry, I think last week we said anger equals murder. Now it's anger equals no worship. Now, a lot of people have difficulty in dealing with anger. And they try to skirt away the accusations of their conscience that tells them that there is something wrong and that they are in sin against God. Now, while it is possible for us to actually delude our own conscience, and somehow suppress the guilt that we have within, we need to understand that we cannot excuse ourselves from the judgment of God. 
And that's why this is something that we need to deal with in our lives. I know that there are a lot of people who have, you know, difficulty in dealing with their anger issues. And hopefully this morning might be a help to you so that somehow the Spirit of God might bring sanctification and might deliver you from this sin, which actually hinders not only your spiritual growth, but actually creates a slow drift away from the Lord. Now, we don't want that happening in our case. So I'd like to talk to you about the two eyes of anger today, letter I, and I'd like to show it on the screen. The first is the incongruence of anger and worship. We find that in verses 23 to verse 25a. And then in verse 23, we're going to talk about the broken relationship because of your offense, the offense of the one mentioned here in verse 23. And then here's an admonition, a call to reconciliation before worship in verse 24 to 25a. And then in verses 25 to 26, we're going to talk about the immutable judgment of God. So these are the two things that we will be taking a look at. And so let's head off to the incongruence of anger and worship in verses 23 to 25a. Allow me to read this passage right now. It says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way. Now, let's just backtrack a little bit, and let's talk about what we shared last weekend. And we said that one of the basic problems... Uh, that was presented by the Lord Jesus Christ is those outbursts of anger as well as expressions of anger. And we find that in verse 22, it was talking about the abusive language that was spoken, uh, language such as, you brainless idiot, you moron, you fool. And definitely, these things are very hurtful statements. And so, we're picking up from that particular passage. And here, Jesus is warning against trying to worship while having hatred in our hearts. So, once again, the warning is uh, attempting to worship while we still have hatred in our hearts. And basically, what the Lord is trying to say to us is we can't do that. We cannot worship with anger in our hearts. We cannot worship when we have bitterness in our hearts. And that's why we need to deal with it even before we attempt to worship God. And basically, this tells us once again the high and lofty requirements of our God. Remember, the summation of this entire section in chapter 5 is found in verse 48 where it says, be ye perfect as the heavenly Father is perfect. And so God is not just requiring even human perfection, which is not at all possible. What he is even requiring is the kind of perfection the heavenly Father has. 
And that is why the bottom line of this particular section is that you need the gospel. The bottom line of this passage is you need to be born again. You need to enter into the life of God. You need to have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who is the agent of sanctification because only He can actually deliver us and cause us to move towards the perfection of the Heavenly Father. Of course, you and I know that our own perfection comes either at the rapture or at the time when you and I die. Nevertheless, the Bible calls us to press on towards the goal. The goal is Christ. The goal is His perfection. The goal is Christ-likeness. And that is why we cannot simply be remaining on maintenance mode when it comes to our Christian lives. Some people feel all right that they're already born again, that their, their names are written in the book of life, they have the assurance of salvation, and so they stop growing. They are what I call bonsai Christians, you know, those little plants, those dwarf plants, dwarf trees that never grow. Some of the believers are like that. They never really grow in their faith. And that to me is rather unfortunate because one of the things that can happen is when you stop growing and when you stop moving with the cloud, whether you realize it or not, you're actually drifting away from the Lord and then backsliding. Of late, we have heard of so many pastors and even worship leaders who have not only drifted slowly away from the Lord, but they've actually apostatized. Of course, we question the authenticity of their salvation. And if they are truly saved, then eventually, before they die, they would repent. But then again, here's where it's very important to take stock of our spiritual lives. Because a lot of times, we don't do that. A lot of times, we're just busy doing a lot of things for the Lord. And for us, that's all right. It eases the pain of a guilty conscience. God doesn't want that. God wants us having a pure heart. God wants us growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So in verse 23, we deal with the broken relationship because of your offense. The offense here we're talking about is that brother who said, you brainless idiot, you moron, you fool, all right? So that's the offense that we find here. And so what does the Lord exhort uh, in regard to this, he says, first of all, the first phrase would be, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar. Now, what's this offering? Well, this offering is an animal sacrifice. Uh, something that we need to note about Old Testament worship. Old Testament worship could not be done without the temple. Old Testament worship could not be done without the Levitical priesthood. Old Testament worship cannot be done without the atoning uh, or the atonement that is provided by animal sacrifices. That is why we find uh, prescriptions, Levitical prescriptions in the book of Leviticus as well as in the book of Deuteronomy, wherein they were required to present burnt offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings. Now, they did this for the purpose of atoning for their sins. This was a temporary setup until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, 
it was a requirement. You had to present an offering. And that was a sign of your repentance, a sign of your humbling before God, a sign that you wanted forgiveness and cleansing from your sins. So that's the offering here. We're not talking about, you know, just any offering. It's uh, burnt offerings, animal sacrifices that we're talking about. Now, notice it says here, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and then you remember that your brother has something against you. Now, who is this brother? Now, obviously, this is talking about their fellow Jewish worshipers. All right? That is what it is talking about. They belong to the Jewish community. And so, this was talking about a fellow uh, brother Jew, regardless of whatever tribe he belonged to. And, of course, in terms of application, we might be wondering, well, what's the relevance of that for me? I'm not a Jew. Well, the relevance of that in terms of application is we can probably talk about our own uh, brothers and sisters in the faith, right? Those who belong to the church, those who belong to the believing community. So that might be the application here. Now, of course, we can also stretch the application to include even those who are not Christians and even those who are not believers. Now, it says here that this brother has something against you. And again, within the context of verse 22, the reason why this brother has something against you is you've done something bad. You've done something wrong. You've expressed your anger. You, you, uh, you shouted probably with abusive language. You called somebody a brainless idiot. You called somebody a moron. You called somebody a fool. And so that is the context in this particular case. Now, what do we need to do in that particular situation if we have somehow expressed our anger, we blew our top, and then we, we spoke abusive language, what are we to do? And here in verses 24 to 25a, we're told that what needs to happen is reconciliation before worship. I'd like to read verse 24 uh, once again. Here we go. It says, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now the point of this uh, verse of scripture tells us that not only are we not to harbor hatred and express our anger in abusive language, we are also being told that we need to take positive steps with the one we have offended, with the one who has something against us. In other words, we need to put ourselves right with a brother with whom we have vented our anger even before we attempt to worship the Lord. Now again, let's go back and let's do a little background here just so you understand what was happening here or what was happening during the time of Jesus Christ. Well, if you were a Jew, there was this once-a-year pilgrimage, at least once-a-year pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And that was a time wherein you would bring your uh, atoning sacrifices. In other cases, if you belong to the northern tribes, 
you come from the north or you come from far south, obviously it would be difficult to bring those animals. So what would happen oftentimes is you would go to the temple and there would be people who would be selling these offerings. Now sometimes you may need to exchange money and so you would exchange money with the money changers and then after changing the money, you would now proceed to the marketplace where they are selling these animals. Of course, you had to inspect it because those animals that were to be offered needed to be without spot, without blemish, without stain, without defect. So you would inspect it, and if it passed your inspection, you would now ascend the stairs, and you would now go up the temple mount carrying these offerings. Now, as soon as you reach the top, there is a railing that separates the priests, all right, the Levitical priests, and then those uh, who are worshipers. And they would be queuing, they would be lining up, and they would be lining up carrying these offerings. Uh, some of them lambs, a few weeks old probably, or barely a year or something, and so they would carry it. And so that's the situation here. That's what Jesus was talking about. So what do you do, for example, if you're carrying this animal, which is supposed to provide atoning sacrifice for you, and you're queuing up, and then you're near the railings already, the priest is going to approach you. And then all of a sudden, you remember, I hurt somebody. Somebody has something against me because I called him a brainless idiot. Somebody has something against me because I called him a fool. Somebody has something against me because I called him a moron. So what do I do? Well, for some people, probably their thinking is, well, I'm already here. I already queued. I already lined up. I already exchanged money. I already bought this offering. So obviously what I need to do is, you know, offer the offering, ask for forgiveness, and maybe later on I can go to my brother. Or maybe the person might be thinking, maybe I can do it next week. Or maybe if he's very hesitant, he might say maybe next month. Or maybe next year. Or maybe never. <laughs> maybe all I have to do is just make this offering. And maybe God will be pleased with me. And I don't need to reconcile myself with my brother. Well, here's what Jesus says. You can't do that. Your worship will be unacceptable. Your offering will be unacceptable. Your sins will not be forgiven. Because if you do that, you are insulting God. Because when you come before the Lord, it should be with an intention to have a pure heart before Him. An intention to get things right with Him. And by your offering something and yet be unreconciled with somebody you are, in fact, insulting the very holiness of God. And so, Jesus is saying here, you can't do that. What you need to be able to do is, is go and reconcile yourself with your brother. The point here is you cannot worship God with anger in your heart. Are you listening? This is so important. You cannot worship if you have anger in your heart. You cannot worship if you have bitterness in your heart. 
You cannot worship if you have grudges in your heart. It is an impossibility in so far as God is concerned. If there are some unresolved issues, you need to resolve it. You know, sometimes we have complicated our lives. The Christian life is actually very simple. The Bible says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. The Bible says that we are even to love our enemies. The Bible says that we need to forgive one another. And yet, why is it so difficult for us to do that? Well, for one thing, one of the things that deters us is pride, our own ego, our own sense of entitlement, our own sense of, you know, my rights. And those are the things that actually prevent us from saying, I'm sorry, or forgive me. I mean, think about this. Sometimes all it takes to bring about restoration and reconciliation is for you to humble yourself and say, you know what? I offended you. I'm sorry. Or you know what? I did something really bad. Please forgive me. Or I apologize. That's all it takes. Yet what prevents that is our own pride, our own sense of entitlement. That is what complicates it. And by the way, this is the reason why unless you're born again, you will not humble yourself. Bible says, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. If you're born of the flesh, you will seek the things of the flesh. But if you're born of the Spirit, you will seek the things of the Spirit. And so if you want to do the spiritual thing, if you want to do the right thing, if you want to be able to be right with God, you need to be born again first of all. That actually is the bottom line. The Lord Jesus Christ was pressing people, pinning them actually to the wall where they can turn nowhere else, realizing that if they relied on themselves, if they relied on their own intelligence, wisdom, human effort, they would definitely fail. So Jesus, with, with his putting the standard of God right above for people to reach out, what he's actually doing is pushing people to a corner so that people finally say, you know what, Lord, I can't do this. But Lord, if I surrender my life to you, if I give my life to you and you you." You plant your heart in my heart. You change my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. If your Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell in me, then Lord, what you require of me, I can do. That is the gospel. That is what Christ wants to happen. This is the reason why he was pressing people into an understanding. It's not just about following the letter of the law, but it is following the spirit of the law. It's not just about doing good things. It's not just about having a good act. It's not just having a spiritual facade or a veneer of spirituality and righteousness. Jesus is saying your heart is very important. And whatever you do, your heart has to be in it. So if, if you are a person who is right with God, you will be able to do exactly what God requires. Because now it is no longer you doing it. As Paul says, I've labored far more than all of the other apostles. And yet, here's what he says. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. The book of Zechariah says, Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit shall I prevail. 
That's the whole point of the scriptures. All of us are being pressed towards the wall, pinned to a corner, so that we turn to nothing else and no one else but Christ himself. Unfortunately, a lot of people are so proud and so arrogant, they refuse to humble themselves before God and even seek His help. You know, sometimes our problem is we worship. We worship to buy off our conscience and suppress the guilt of sin, hoping to please God. And this is exactly what we see here. Somebody bringing an offering, an animal sacrifice, animal sacrifice, hoping to please God. Let me just tell you this. Your offering will not change your spiritual state. Can I say that once again? Your offering will not change your spiritual state. Now, of course, in the modern day times, we don't, we don't worship with animals. We come here with our hands. We, we use our hands to clap to the Lord. We use our mouth to sing songs to Him. We raise our hands, lifting it up in worship to the Lord. That's our offering. The book of Hebrews says we offer our sacrifices of praise. The book of Psalms says we enter the gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. That's how we do our offering nowadays. And friends, if you think that by singing songs or by playing instruments or by lifting your hands, you're able to please God even though there is bitterness and anger in your heart, you're greatly mistaken. Your worship has become an absolute waste. Your lifting of hands is a waste of time and a waste of energy. Your mouthing the lyrics will, you know, lyrics of the song would simply give you a sore throat. But it will never reach the throne of God. It will never touch the heart of God. It will never, ever change your spiritual state. You cannot fool God. Bible says, God is not deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap. And this is exactly what God wants. He wants purity of heart, a changed heart. A heart that is truly directed towards Him. A heart that, that takes away all those obstacles, that, that removes all those entanglements, that removes all those impediments to worship. Bible says that God's hand is not short to answer our prayers. And yet, he says in the book of Isaiah, our sins have created a barrier between him and us. And we don't want that happening. We want full access into the throne of God. We want to have the confidence that when we pray, we have the ear of God. That God is hearing whatever we are crying out to him for. But then that will not happen, brothers and sisters, if we allow sin to linger in our hearts. And here's the reason why, if you're a born-again Christian, here's the reason why you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit that you might be led by the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit that you might be able to walk in the Spirit. And by the way, the Bible says those who are led by the Spirit, they are the children of God. So, if you do not have the Spirit of God within you, obviously you have nothing to fight your anger. But if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then you have something, or you have rather, you, have, you rather have someone 
who will sanctify and purify you, who is the agent of sanctification, who will bring release and deliverance to you. So the battle is not really ours alone. The battle is something that belongs to God, His Spirit. All we need to do is yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, and He provides the power to be able to overcome. The Bible says the prayer of Paul was that the eyes of the Ephesian saints might be opened, that they might know the strength that has been provided in their inner man. Unfortunately for some people, the spiritual eyes are not open. The spiritual ears are not open. We do not know the resources that we already have on hand. When you say, I can't do it, are you saying you're not a Christian? Because what Paul says is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when you say, I can't do it, are you then saying you're not a Christian? If you're saying, I, I, I can't, I can't overcome this. Are you saying you don't have Christ in your life? Well, then the good news is this. You can come to Christ. You can ask for forgiveness. And you can tell him to change your heart and change your life. And he will. Because those who draw near to him, he will in no way cast out. Amen? And so we rejoice in that, brothers and sisters. Now, listen up. What it is saying is we must be right with our fellow men before God will accept our worship. Now, how many of us here, we want our worship to be accepted by the Lord? Amen. I mean, you wouldn't be here if you, if you wanted God to reject your worship. You're here because you want your worship to be acceptable. But, listen well, without reconciliation, our gifts to God, our worship to God are worth nothing. They are worth nothing at all. Whatever it is we do for God, it's worth nothing if we allow anger to settle in our hearts. Listen well, there is no use of blessing God and cursing men. Can I say that once again? There is no use of blessing God and cursing men. Let me turn you once again to a familiar passage, James chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, all the way to verse 12, please. Here we go. It says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Now, notice here the inconsistency that we find, uh, and this was the inconsistency that was discovered by James as well, probably in the church that he was pastoring. He was pastoring the church in Jerusalem. And the problem that he saw was that people were blessing the Lord, but at the same time, they were cursing others. Now, what is so wrong with that? Well, what is wrong with that is that man has been made in the image of God. Do you know that you have been made in the image of God? Think about the intelligence that you have. The intelligence that you have is simply a reflection 
of the infinitely wise and intelligent supreme being whom we call as God. We're intelligent because God is intelligent. We have emotions. Why? Because God himself has emotions. We are spiritual beings. Why? Because God himself is spirit. And so we have the image of God in us. That is why even those who actually get to do heinous crimes, you will be surprised sometimes they also have a soft spot in their own hearts. And sometimes they do show those acts of kindness and we ask ourselves, well, how can a criminal, somebody who has committed a heinous crime, do something kind? Well, there's still that image of God inside of them. Yes, it is, it is soiled, it is stained, it is marred by sin, but the image of God is still there. And so here's the thing. When you're cursing somebody, listen up. You're actually cursing the image of God in that person. Are you listening? When you're cursing somebody, you're actually cursing the image of God in that somebody. Would you ever do that to God? Would you ever curse God? Would you ever express abusive language to God? May it never be. But we do that with our fellow men. And sometimes we forget that there is a connection between the vertical as well as the horizontal. Jesus Christ said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And mark this, he says, And the second one is like it. By saying like it, meaning it's similar, meaning to say there's a connection between the first commandment and the second commandment. And what is the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the thing. If I can't love my neighbor, I can't love God. In fact, isn't this what John the Beloved was saying in the first letter of John? How can you say you love God if you hate your brother whom you can see, whereas God is somebody you cannot see? Notice the inconsistency. We say we love God whom we do not see, and yet we hate the brother whom we are actually able to see. How can we do that? And yet, it happens. And yet, it's something that a lot of people struggle with. It's something that even Christians struggle with. We struggle with that. And again, friends, James is saying that's absolutely, totally inconsistent with the character of God and the Spirit of God that lives and dwells in you. Do you know the Bible says that we are not to grieve the Spirit of God? Now, how do you grieve the Spirit of God? Well, you grieve the Spirit of God by anger, by clamor, by slander, by gossip, by, you know, using foul language, by coarse jesting. That's what the book of Ephesians says. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Would you like to do that? Would you actually like to grieve the Spirit that lives and dwells in you? Paul reminds us, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? There is no building right now that there is no temple by which the presence of God abides. That temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, 70 A.D. 
In place of that is a Muslim edifice, the Dome of the Rock. There is no temple anymore. There is no physical temple right now in Jerusalem. But God is saying, you are the temple of God. And the Spirit of God lives and dwells in you. Now here's the thing. Do you respect and revere the Spirit of God within you? You know, I've been saying that one of the things that has been lost in the 21st century is reverential fear. The fear of God. That trepidation. That, that approaching God with, with a bowed head and a humble heart. Somehow that has been lost. And we tend to view things from a horizontal perspective, no longer anything vertical. Well, friends, let me just tell you this. If you don't fix your horizontal, it's not going to do well with your vertical. You want your vertical to be all right, you've got to fix your horizontal as well. And that's why we cannot leave situations unresolved. We need to resolve it. You know, there are two ways in responding. When, when you're an angry person, there are two ways to respond. One is you go on a fight mode, and the other one is you go on a flight mode. Two ways to respond, fight or flight. Both ways are wrong. Both ways avoid issues. Both ways will never come to a conflict resolution. So how do I respond when something bad happens? How do I respond? When I respond, I don't fight and I don't flight. I don't do flight. What I do is I make it right with my brother or with my sister. And that solves my fellowship with the Lord. Now, when you don't want to reconcile yourself with a fellow brother or a fellow sister, you know what you are in effect trying to say? You don't want to commune with God. When you don't want to reconcile with your brother and sister, you don't want to worship. That's what you're saying. You don't want to have anything to do with the Word of God. You don't want to have anything to do with the Scriptures. Now examine your heart. Is that right? Is that how a born-again Christian responds? Is that how a genuine believer responds who has the living Holy Spirit inside of him or her? It is totally, absolutely wrong and absolutely unacceptable to the Lord. Notice verse 10. It says, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. If you believe God is the way, if you believe the scriptures are the way, then we, can't, we cannot do this. We cannot worship God, sing love songs to the Lord, and sing songs of hatred to other, towards other people. We cannot do that. It makes our worship practically useless. And that is why God is calling us into a holy and sanctified life. The goal of our lives is to become like Jesus Christ, who was able to forgive his enemies. And remember this, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you can forgive. Look at Stephen. 
Stephen was being stoned. And by the way, when, when, they, when he was being stoned, they were not throwing pebbles at him. They were throwing boulders at him. Because stoning at that time was, was intended to kill you. You can't kill somebody with a pebble. They were throwing boulders at him. And yet Stephen said, let this not sin be held against them. Practically the same spirit and the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. When you withhold forgiveness from somebody, listen up. You're making yourself higher than God. What does the Bible say? The Bible says a servant, a slave is not higher than his master. So if I say, I am not going to forgive this person, what are you saying? You're saying you're higher than God. You're saying you're more entitled than God. And that is absolutely wrong. True worship, brothers and sisters, is not enhanced by better music. True worship is not enhanced by better prayers, eloquent prayers. Charismatic prayers. True worship cannot be enhanced by, by beautiful or better architecture. You can have a beautiful church building, and yet the people inside could just be in sin. True worship is not enhanced even by better preaching. You can have the best preachers around, but unless it changes the lives of people, it's worth nothing as well. True worship is enhanced by better relationships, first of all, with God and between those who come to worship. And right now, you know, most especially in a big church as ours, when you have a conflict with somebody, what do you do? Well, if you don't want to resolve that conflict, you simply transfer to another service. I'm not going to attend the morning service. I'm going to attend the, the afternoon service because that person attends the morning service. Or I will just worship in the Saturday service. I don't want to see this person. We can, we can do all sorts of things, but, but do you think that that resolves anything? Do you think that your worship will become acceptable to God just by simply transferring to another service? Or some people try to solve it by, by probably hopping from one church to another. But what happens if you meet people again with whom you vent your anger with? Do you transfer to another church? Do you go to another church? Now, of course, you know, people transfer to other churches for legitimate reasons. There are legitimate reasons for transferring to another church. But let it not be that you transfer to another church because you have unresolved issues. Let it not be because you have anger and bitterness that you cannot resolve in your heart. Because when you do that, guess what, guess what you will discover? When you transfer to another church, you'll still be angry. <laughs> and guess what happens if you transfer to another church? You'll still be angry. If you're looking for, for a perfect church and a perfect pastor, good luck. You'll never find any perfect church nor any perfect pastor. Friends, God has allowed us to live on and continue on in this believing community amidst our warts 
amidst our failures, amidst our struggles, amidst our weaknesses. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another man. That's how it is. We're not yet in heaven. We're still here on earth. And here on earth, we have got to deal with our own sinful natures. It has not been eradicated. It's still there, though we have the divine nature of God within us. But God has equipped us and empowered us such that we can actually conquer and overcome our trials. If you're not an overcomer, you're not a Christian. If you're not victorious, you're not a Christian. Now, possibly you might be growing into that victory. Possibly you might be growing into that overcoming or that deliverance. But the whole point is there must be progress. There must be progress. If there is no progress and instead of progress there is retrogression, you've got to ask yourself, am I really a believer in Christ? One sister was saying that she actually took stock of herself and she said, Lord, am I really a Christian? One mother actually talked to her children, are you really Christians? Are you sure you are Christians? And I think that one of my duties, actually, is to make you doubt your salvation. You know, you might say, you're, you're being cruel. No, I'm not being cruel. When I do that to you, I'm really helping you. Because if you are not a genuine Christian, here's an opportunity for you to say, Lord, if I'm not a Christian, then make me one. If I'm not a believer, Lord, then, then take me into your kingdom. I humble myself before you. So that's not being cruel. That's loving you. Because you know what? If you die right now and you don't have Christ, guess where that's going to bring you. That's going to bring you to hell. And I don't want any one of you going to hell. So I need to, to speak out the truth to you and not mince words. Obviously, I don't want enemies. And sometimes when you preach the Word of God, you do make enemies. That's why Jesus had a lot of enemies. You cannot be neutral with Jesus Christ. Either you love Him or you hate Him. And I guess when you preach the truth, you have the same results. Either people love you or hate you. There's nothing neutral in between. But I will, if I were to be a true, genuine pastor, I will have to preach the truth to you even if it offends you. Why? Because I have a duty and a responsibility to preach the Word of God without compromise. And if I compromise the Word of God, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a hireling. And I don't want to be a hireling. I don't want Jesus to tell me, I don't want to go to Jesus and say, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not perform miracles in your name? I don't want Jesus speaking down on me and telling me, I never knew you. And that's exactly what's going to happen with some of us. So better that I awaken you from your spiritual slumber rather than you remain spiritually asleep and then when you enter into eternity, you wake up into hell. Would you want that happening? So remember this. When I speak this, I speak this in love. I don't speak to, to talk down to you. 
In fact, I always say this. When I preach, I'm also preaching to myself. The same word of God that I am preaching, I am applying to myself. It's not like apply this and I exclude myself from it. No, I'm preaching to myself as well. This is something that I need to deal with as well. Because if I don't, need, if I don't deal with this, then I will be accountable to God. And some people fail to realize that, that, that the Lord Jesus walks amidst the lampstands. In the book of Revelation, that's what it says. You know what that means? Jesus is here. Do you know that Jesus is here right now? It's not like we're, we're in a bubble and God is outside that bubble. No, God is inside the bubble. He's here right now. He's walking in our midst. And that is why if God is walking in our midst, then there needs to be reverential fear. If there's no reverential fear, this is not church. This is a club. This has just become a human institution. And it's worth nothing. The only time we, we are worth something is when our hearts are knit with God and meshed with his will. So Jesus gives us a warning of immutable judgment in verses 25 to 26. And here's what he says. It says, make friends what? What does it say? Make friends what? Quickly. Say quickly. Say quickly. Say it, to her, say it to your neighbor louder, please. Quickly. What does quickly mean? It means quickly. Right? You get that? Not next week. Not next month. Not next year. Quickly means quickly. Quickly means ASAP. As soon as possible. That's what it means. So make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Now what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is warning us to get right with our neighbor before our neighbor takes us to court. Once in court, it will be too late. Now, was Jesus talking about earthly things? No, he was just using an analogy here. He was just using this human illustration to point out the fact that there's going to be eternal judgment. And when he says, make friends quickly, Jesus is urging haste. He's urging haste. Don't postpone it. Don't procrastinate. Don't delay. Don't say next week. Don't say next month. Don't say next year. Don't say I'm not ready yet. Because if you say I'm not ready yet, we will never be ready. Nobody is ready. That's the truth. So how do we overcome? Not by might, nor by power. But by God's Spirit, we shall prevail. Because in the end, more than our accountability with each other, we are accountable to God. 
You might escape human accountability, but you will never escape accountability before the Lord. That's something that will never, ever happen. And friends, anger can be a bondage that would be difficult to overcome. That is why the Bible calls us to overcome it decisively, definitively, quickly. Look at Ephesians 4.26. How decisively, how definitively, how quickly. Notice what Ephesians 4.26 says. Be angry and yet do not sin. Now watch this. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now what does that mean? Settle your issues today. Today, not tomorrow. Don't sleep on your anger. Because when you wake up in the morning, you will wake up more angry. And if you do it next month, you will be angrier even. If you do it next year, maybe you will never ever be able to forgive. That's the situation here. You harden your heart, it becomes harder. You refuse the, the movement of the Spirit of God in your heart. It just, it just messes you up. It just messes up your heart. That is why we cannot afford to harden our hearts. Because the effect and the result of that is it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. That's why I look at the next verse. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. When you allow bitterness to fester and linger on in your life, guess what you're doing? You're opening the door to Satan. When you do not allow bitterness to be released, you're saying, welcome Satan, come into my life. Now, how many of you will actually say that? Welcome, Satan, come into my life. Of course, none of us would actually do that. But do you know what? If you allow bitterness and anger to linger in your heart, you're welcoming Satan. You're giving him an opportunity. You're saying, all right, take advantage of me. You, wanna, you want that to happen? Don't do that. You don't play around with fire. You don't play around with the devil. He's smarter than you. He's brighter than you. He's more intelligent than you. Guess how many years he has been here? Well, probably more than 5,000 years. And how old are you? 30 years old? 40 years old? 50 years old? He knows every trick in the trade. Believe me. He knows every trick in the trade. He'll use the Bible. Remember, he used the Bible against Christ. He didn't win because Jesus obviously knew the Bible more than he did. But he'll use anything and everything to mess you up. And if you give him opportunity, oh boy, he'll enter that door. He will enter that door. He will enter that, that small gap, that small hole, that small window in your life. He's going to enter that. And he's going to mess you up. He's going to destroy your life. He's not going to be kind to you. The Bible says in John chapter 10, the thief comes in to, get, to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy that's how he's going to work in your life. So you better not give him any opportunity whatsoever in your life. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says this, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. You know what that is saying? Picture this. Here's the grace of God. It's available. It's near you. But you come short of it. 
You can't reach it. And why can't you reach the grace of God? It's so near. It's because you're, you're pulling yourself back from the grace of God. So the fault is not with God. The grace of God is there, but you're pulling back from the grace of God. It's going to destroy you. It says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. You want trouble? Be bitter. That's how it is. Be angry. You'll have trouble for sure. And then it says, and by it many be defiled. Jesus was not giving practical advice here. He is merely using this situation as an analogy to state that God's judgment is going to be a lot stern. You think that's judgment already being thrown into prison? That's nothing compared to hell. Bible is saying here that, certain that Jesus declares certain judgment before the supreme court of God and an eternity in hell. Notice how thorough the judgment of God is going to be. It says you will not get out of there un until you pay the last cent. You know what the last cent is? This was a quadrum. This was a quadrum, the smallest Roman coin. Sincillo. Sincillo. This indicates that God's judgment, if not forestalled by repentance and reconciliation, knows no half measures. During judgment day, it will be too late. Irrevocable consequences and time may be short. Now, such a scary proposition should bring shivers to our bones. Incidentally, the anger that is going to incur eternal judgment is a lifestyle of anger. Because as believers, do we get angry? Yes, we do. But not for long. Have a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 at this time. All the way to verse 10. It says, the one who practices sin of the, is of the devil. Maybe let's replace the word sin here with something more specific. And since we're talking about anger, let's make it anger. So here's how it would be translated this way. It would translate this way. The one who practices anger is of the devil. Did you hear that? The one who practices anger is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Let's make it specific. No one who is born of God practices anger. Because his seed, the seed of God, the Holy Spirit, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God abides in him and he cannot sin. That's in the present tense, meaning... He cannot continue in sin because he is born of God. Verse 10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Obvious ba? You know what this is saying? It's so easy to spot somebody who's a Christian. 
And it's easy to spot somebody who is not. Well, how do you spot somebody? It's not about somebody holding a Bible. It's not about somebody singing songs. It's not about somebody raising his hands. That's not how you discern and determine whether a person is a child of God or not. You look at his life. You look at the person's life. You look at the person's fruit. The Bible says, by the fruit shall you know them. And Jesus said, you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if I don't have love in my heart, if I'm unable to forgive, if I cannot apologize, if I cannot overcome my anger, if I'm always blowing my top, it is pretty obvious I'm not a Christian. Because if I were, I would not continue in this kind of a mindset and lifestyle. Verse 10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. You're not a Christian. You're not born again. I'm not saying that. It's the Bible. Then it says, anyone who does not practice the righteousness, who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother nor the one who does not love his brother. So if you can't love your brother, guess what? You're not a Christian. You're not a believer. Good news. Good news is you can come to Christ. Good news is you can now kneel before God and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Good news is I can now come before the Lord and say, Lord, I've been fooling myself all these years. I've always thought I was a Christian because I prayed the sinner's prayer. I've always thought I was a Christian because I raised my hands when the pastor called for, for people to come to Christ. I fooled myself when I came rushing up in front thinking that by doing so, I'm already a believer. Lord, I just realized I'm not. I'm an angry person. I'm a bitter person. I'm a lustful person. But Lord, there's mercy in your throne. And you died in, in my place. You were crucified in my place. You took my spot, Lord. You became my substitute. And because of you, Lord, my sins could be forgiven, my past, my present, and my future. So Lord, forgive me. And when you do that, when you pray that, even right now, even right now, in your mind, in your heart, your name gets written in the book of life that easy. Why? Because salvation is not your work. Your good works will never reach the standard of perfection. It's all about grace. Now, do you want grace? Do you want unmerited favor? in your life and in your heart, you can ask God right now. And He will grant it to you. He will give it to you. He will bless you with it. And I pray to God this morning, you will humble your heart before Him. Now, if you are a Christian and you're still struggling with anger, confess it right now. Bible says, do not let the sun 
go down on your anger. Let God deliver you from that sin. If you truly desire to worship, you must release yourself from any form of anger and bitterness. Let me close with a story. My wife and I, we enjoyed, when we, were, uh, when we first came here, our first two years, there was this lady, quite elderly. She was, she was very gracious and very generous to us. She, she, however, was suffering with arthritis and you know, she had difficulty walking. She, she had disfigured, a disfigured hand because of arthritis. Yet she was a hard worker. She was selling um, rubber bands. And she would often invite me and my wife. And she was a good cook. She would cook food for us. And we would have a sumptuous meal, a lunch or a dinner. And we enjoyed, we enjoyed just being with her. But what really saddened my heart was she said I could never forgive my husband. She said my husband spat on me, kicked me, my tummy, has always abused me with his language. And this is what she said. Even if I go to hell, I will not forgive him. Let me ask you this question. Are you really willing to say that? That even if you go to hell, you will never, ever forgive that person who has hurt you? Are you willing to really, are you really so much in love with your bitterness that you will not let go of it even if it means going to hell? Are you really sure? Now you understand why Jesus said anger equals murder. Because anger does not start here. It starts here. Murder does not start here. It starts here. This lady, because she could not overcome her bitterness hired an assassin to kill her husband. Didn't happen. She got caught. She got arrested. If I'm not mistaken, up until now, she's in Muntinlupa. What a sad, tragic story. Some people are so in love with their bitterness they don't let go of it, even though it means trouble, as the Bible says. Friends, don't mess up your life. Don't let your life be destroyed by, the, by Satan, by the enemy, because that is exactly his purpose in your life. But in Jesus Christ, there is perfect freedom. Amen. And there is peace and there is joy. Give the Lord a big hand, please. Shall we bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Lord, for equipping me just to be able to preach the word to your people. 
I pray, Father, that nobody will harden their hearts this morning. I pray that whatever it is that is holding us back, whatever entanglements there are in our lives, whatever impediments and obstacles there are in our relationship with you, that we might be able to just confess that and release that to you. Give us the freedom, Lord, that you want to give to all of your children. And here's my prayer, Lord, that those who do not have you, those who are not genuine believers, that today, right now, they might seek your mercy and they might cry out to you and they might say, Lord, save my soul. Save my soul. Lord, thank you for today. We know, Father, that a miracle has taken place in the many hearts of your people today. And we thank you likewise for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your name. And would you be so kind, Lord, to bless us in return so that we might be able to partner with you in expanding the work of your kingdom, that more and more people might come to Christ. We give you thanks and praise for today. You alone deserve the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.